Felix and Katie uh, actually run the church in Houston that we go and visit occasionally. I think a few guys from here have been there before, uh, Betty and Jeremy and others. So forgot to mention that. And then uh, we got to pray for Rosalind. She was taken to hospital and there's some internal bleeding. And uh, the cancer hasn't uh, gone. It's in fact become more invasive and the doctors are putting, on a, putting her on a timeline. And uh, I know some of us have visited her and it's not the same Rosalind. She doesn't look her usual self, but she still is expecting to live every day that God has appointed to her. And so let's just pray that the internal bleeding stops and that she can come home. Yeah? So let's pray that. Father, um, we just want to pray for Rosalind right now. Her daughter wrote saying that there's internal bleeding. And she's been taken to the hospital. Father, when Heidi and I met her three weeks ago, she still was talking about believing that you have all the power to heal her and that she is not afraid of death. It was both these statements that she made and both were true about. Right now what we ask is for the bleeding to cease. They don't know the source of the bleeding. You do. Her parts were wonderfully made by you. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we as a church, reach out right now to her and we speak one, the identifying of the source, and two, the drying up of the bleeding. So we go to Luke 8 and we remember the woman with the issue of blood. And the moment she touched you, her bleeding stopped. And so, Father, because she's part of the body, we touch you. We touch you. Father, we join our hearts together. We agree concerning your power. And we exert our faith and touch you on behalf of Rosalind. And in the name of Jesus Christ, command the blood to this bleeding to cease right now. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So on one hand, we reach out to you. On the other hand, we reach out to her. Allow us to hear who touched me. Let her be whole right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Dilna, Come. So uh, Jacob just asked me to share some stuff that's been happening in Wally. Uh, uh, so, like, I encourage uh, you guys to come out to Wally and uh, basically uh, just see how God is moving. And uh, so, like, I was out yesterday, uh, and you know, uh, before we start, we uh, see what, what God, where God is leading us, and who, which people God is leading us to. So. Uh, uh, there was a couple of people that mentioned, uh, like Mark, uh, we were praying, and Mark had mentioned we're going to meet someone with an oval ring. Uh, so just to give an example. And uh, so uh, PK and uh, Derek and myself, we went out to a park, and uh, and this guy just came up to us and just started talking to us. And then, as, and then he came out of his car, his name, we asked him what his name was, his name was Gopal, and there was another guy in the car named Michael. 
And, uh, and as we're looking at him and he's talking to us, we notice he has an oval ring. I was like, and then we started, wow, this is incredible. And this, and we, so we started sharing the gospel. And so his name is Gopal and uh, Michael. So we should uh, pray for them. And we meet so many other, there's so many incredible stories like that. So I just encourage you to come and see how God is moving. And uh, it also helps you to kind of walk in the spirit. Like it's uh, helping me to learn how to share the gospel and just be bold. And also to see how God is preparing people. Like you don't have to go to people. People are just ready to come. So, uh, so I just encourage you guys to come out. Um, do you want to ask if anyone wants to come out this week? Anyone? A show of hands. I'm already volunteering the guys from Houston and Calgary. Amen. So that's three. Anybody else who wants to go out this week? What, what day this week, Dilna? Saturday. Ruth, you look like you wanted to put your hand up. So, Ruth, and then let's pick one from this side. Kamal, you just put your hand up. All right, Kamal and Ruth, thank you. No, you did this. (laughs) Okay, uh, it was Joan's birthday yesterday. And it's Kamal's uh, 80th birthday on, I forgot, April 30, March 30th. So, so just remember to be nice to them. Okay. Alrighty. Hey, so um, this week we'll begin our, uh, our, our moving into Victoria. Uh, so just thought we'll go down this path of uh, a two-series a two-sermon series called Warrior's Way. And so uh, let me start with the fact that the church at Antioch is a kind of church that Acts 29 is, um, will be, aims to continue being. And so the church at Antioch in Acts 13, um, what is special about it is it represented a governing territorial Apostolic Church. Who's playing the guitar? Sede? Okay. So, um, Antioch was a governing, as in it had the ability to rule. It wasn't just uh, evangelism and uh, birthing people into the faith. It was more than that. It wasn't only discipling. It was, is it possible to... uh, extend God's rule into a city, a town, a nation. So there was this idea of governing. It was territorial, as in there were areas appointed to it. From Antioch, uh, the gospel spread to Colossae, Corinth, Ephesus, the regions of Galatia. All these places were affected by the church in Antioch. And so it was governing, it was territorial, it was apostolic. Apostolic means it was sent with a message. So the word sent 
the dimension of being sent was very active at Antioch. And so these three things were very specific to Antioch and therefore it was able to impact regions and it was able to impact territories. And these were regions and territories that were given into its jurisdiction. So if you don't know your jurisdiction, what do you mean by jurisdiction? The area that you have permission in and when God gives you permission in a certain area, he gives you authority that goes with it. That's what jurisdiction means. So any questions on just that statement? I may have spelled Coloss wrong. S-A-E. -E. Any questions on uh, this bit? So, uh, why, why use the word governing? Because uh, can, can a region or a territory be affected by a church? Can its leaders be affected? Can its political, social, economic structure be affected? That's what governing means. So when uh, the church enters into Ephesus, Ephesus' economy is affected. Ephesus' rulers shift. Ephesus' powers, both visible and invisible, shift. Read the book of Acts. 1819, you'll see it. So that's what we mean by governing. It's not just evangelism and discipling. We may not know the length and breadth of it, but we know that it was exampled for us and therefore must be imitated. And the people in Ephesus were as ordinary as you and I. So there was nothing special about that place. Most of them ended up in Antioch because of dispersion due to persecution. And then from there on, they began to spread. Territorial, there's a region that's allotted to you, and it can be different places, eh? Very rarely has this church gone into a place that we don't have permission in. Um, Tuni was, um, is doing a project where he's researching um, how churches that build house churches work. And so he's um, going to be sitting with Kaylee and um, Felix to talk about what they're doing in Houston. Different places, he's going to be talking about it. So when we looked at the number of churches that have been affected by what Chad is doing and what I'm doing and what some of his people are doing and what we are doing, there were close to 263 churches in the last four or five years. Because we don't keep account, we do not understand what has happened with this tiny seed called Acts 29. We don't understand. 263 churches, and if you look at what is at present brewing and what has already been planted, you're talking about 26 nations. The only continent that hasn't been touched is the Antarctic. So we don't realize the seed and its potency because we are not keeping track and because we look very ordinary, so nobody keeps track. Japan has been on our minds for years, ever since Prashant got uh, jumped out of a car. And so uh, ever since then, it's been this desire, Japan, and now going into Japan. So these are territories that are allotted to a church. And then once you have governing and territorial, then it has to be apostolic, as in there has to be a sentness to the church, as in a church that's willing to go with three hours notice, 15 hour notice, 
It's highly inconvenient. Uh, that was a word May kept using more than I'd wanted. Um, but <laughs> it's an inconvenient and it costs, eh? And uh, that's part of, the, the sentness is inconvenient, but sentness was highly inconvenient for Jesus. And then he makes a statement in John 20 saying, as I have sent, as the Father has sent me, so I sent you. And then um, we talked about jurisdiction. And jurisdiction is the, is the area you have permission over. And once you know you have permission in a certain place, with that permission comes authority. And if you use that authority well, then you have immunity. If you don't use that authority well, then you don't have the kind of immunity that comes with authority. Power is not enough, eh? You need authority. Uh, Roland Tan would often tell the story of a man who was like, who goes and checks out farms in the UK. And uh, um, yeah, we won't go there. <laughs> Any questions? Basically, he went into a, a bullpen and uh, realized that he has authority, but he didn't have power and so on. But it's a complicated story. It doesn't fit right now. Any questions on this? Okay. If that's the case, then we need to also know that inheritance is given. Inheritance is given. And how do we know that? We know that from Psalm 2. Verse 8, where God says to Jesus, and now Jesus is saying to us, ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. So inheritance is given, but inheritance, if it's given, must be possessed. It must be possessed. You read about that in Deuteronomy 1, 20 and 21. It talks about, Israel, I'm going to allot you land. And uh, this is the land that I have promised you. I'm giving you this land, but as I uh, may, I don't see anything that you have come back with. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, so, sorry, very, very, sorry, very sorry. Yeah. So, um, um, sorry, <laughs> very sorry, very. Uh, so, uh, it has to be possessed. In Deuteronomy one, verse twenty and twenty-one, it says that it's. I'm giving you this land, God says to Israel, but if I'm giving you this land, it doesn't mean you can have it without going in and possessing it. But the moment we talk about possession, we have another problem because you cannot possess, you cannot possess till you dispossess previous owners or occupiers. Any questions on that statement? We're talking spiritually. Yeah. We have to give New Testament examples for this. Eh? Is this true? Because everything has to be supported by scripture. This is not a good idea. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I don't know. Betty isn't doing a good job nowadays. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is on me.
I apologize. If you're new here, if you're from Calgary or Houston, we apologize. <laughs> this is when I go out to the screen for... <laughs> See, Derek didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So, do we see um, examples of this? So, you go um, with Paul to Ephesus, and the first thing he deals with, Paul deals with Artemis, because he knows that if Artemis isn't dealt with, Ephesus cannot be taken. So, sometimes you deal with dispossession in terms of actual spiritual entities. In Ephesus, it was Artemis. And in dealing with Artemis, she becomes so undone. And this was a deity that was famous throughout Asia Minor. And then, once Artemis is dealt with, 50,000 drachmas, which was millions of dollars worth of material that was from witchcraft and sorcery, was burnt in that city. Let's go to Cyprus. In Cyprus, there was a place called Paphos. And in, sometimes it's not actual spiritual entities, it's actual spiritual um, people. And in this case, it was a man called Elimas. And Paphos, nothing happened in Paphos till Paul dealt with Elimas. Elimas was known as the Great One. He used to prevent governors and rulers in Paphos from hearing the word of God. And Paul goes, confronts him. And once he's confronted, Sergius Paulus, the governor of the island, begins to uh, listen to Paul and actually becomes a believer. Sometimes it's human entities. And then sometimes uh, it is um, powers that are structural or political. Where do we see an example of this in the Bible? We see it in Revelation 2, where Jesus actually says to the church in Pergamum, that I know where you dwell. You dwell where the throne of Satan is. And why did he call it the throne of Satan? Because in Pergamum was something called the imperial cult. And for the first time, at least in the history of Rome, Augustus actually set himself up as God and there was an altar to him that was worshipped. And then besides that, there was another God which we often see in the... Uh, and he was represented by a serpent and it was Asclepius, which was the serpent savior. And so for Christians in Pergamum, they knew they were up against a very difficult city because to not worship Augustus was to basically be persecuted. And both had altars. As you entered Pergamon, it was built on a hill. And the way the altars and the temples were built, from far it would look, at, look like a throne. And so Jesus says, I know where you live. And so in different places, the entities that have to be undone are different. These, these things are not usually taught in church, they're usually taught in some special course or something, but if all of us, uh, or at least the ones that are willing, and we'll talk about that later, if all of us are planning to be a church that goes to the islands and begins to affect it, 
then all of us need to have an understanding of what we're dealing with. Any questions? I, I, I've got the answer. I've got the answer. I'm, I'm going to come to that. So guys, you must go forth and subdue. You must go forth and subdue. You must go forth and subdue so that you can multiply and replenish. To multiply and replenish. It's part of the Genesis mandate. It's part of the Genesis mandate. And I've said this before, perhaps, um, I think I've said it. Kingdom, the kingdom of God is advanced through warfare and cannot be understood apart from, cannot be understood apart from spiritual conflict. Any questions, any thoughts? The kingdom of God cannot be advanced or is always advanced through warfare and cannot be understood apart from spiritual conflict. Any questions? So you can't think of kingdom without thinking of warfare. You cannot think of warfare without thinking of kingdom. Both are mutually um, inclusive. So one cannot talk about kingdom without realizing that there are other kingdoms that will contest life and land. And you cannot think about warfare without thinking. It is not about casting out a demon necessarily, but it is about advancing the reign and the rule of God throughout the earth, one life at a time. Okay, so how do you know you have authority in your office over a certain place? No, 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 uh, I'm talking about the office, real office now. Yeah, how do you know in your workplace what you have authority over, the rooms that you can enter, um, who you can ask to do things, where you cannot go, how do you know? Someone has to give it to you, someone gives you permission. So in the same way, in, t in the kingdom, permission is again given through the arrangement that God has established. So in a home, it'll be parents. In a marriage, there's a husband who's first among equals. In a church, it's elders. Among the elders, it's the one that 
is appointed in a nation. It's the king or the president or prime minister and so on. When it comes to law, it's the police. In the police, it's the head honcho and so on. So there's an arrangement that God has established. So permission comes through an arrangement and if the person gets it wrong, then everyone under begins to struggle, strive, suffer. Therefore it says righteousness exalts a nation while unrighteousness or wickedness tears it down. So we are given permission by someone over us. And then in the context of the kingdom, once permission is given, then one has to talk about it so that others, because God doesn't operate through any one man. He refuses to because that one man then becomes Christ. So he may deliver a message to someone, but then he has to talk to him and her and me, and now it begins to flesh out. The permission is given to the church. The permission is actually God's hope is now that I've given permission to this particular tribe, I hope this tribe will go and do what it's supposed to do. So when Joshua, when Caleb says, give me those hills where the Anak dwell, he's not going to take it alone. Caleb belongs to a tribe. And so the tribe goes and takes it. And there are people in the tribe who want to go. And there are people in the tribe who don't want to go. There are people in the tribe who have trained to go. There are people in the tribe who haven't trained to go. There are people in the tribe that are young and inexperienced. There are people in the tribe that are veterans. There are people in the tribe that are afraid. There are people that are in the tribe are not afraid. There are people in the tribe that are walking in obedience and purity. There are people in the tribe that are not walking in obedience and purity. So those things matter. But at the end of the day, when we go and get what God has promised us, everyone gets a share of it. Nobody is left out on the basis of were they obedient, not obedient, pure, not pure, were they trained, not trained? No, everybody benefits from the spoils. Yeah, but whenever we use order, something in us begins to rebel, so I prefer using arrangement because uh, it's the same thing. But when you use order, it's like... So the church's warfare. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you read Hebrews 13 and Romans 13, and you will basically get the hang of how to handle tyrannical masters who have, because God appoints people to positions, but they can turn tyrannical and corrupt and nasty. And sometimes that ends up in us having to be bear unfair burdens. And so during situations like that, I'm still supposed to follow the law, except when it contravenes the law of God. So if you go to Romans 13. Everyone must submit himself to governing authorities, for there is no authority 
except that which God has established. That sounds so contradictory sometimes. How could God establish such and such a thing? But sometimes God gives you the choice to accept, vote for a certain person and people in their rebellion can vote for someone else. Sometimes people get what they deserve, sometimes people get what they don't deserve but has been imposed on them by that which is evil because we live in a fallen world. But let's read the rest of it. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. This is God's standard. But sometimes, like James is saying, what if they get tyrannical? Now, new issues arise when you operate under a tyrannical ruler. Do you stand up for justice or do you not? Do you stand up for someone else's justice or do you not? Do you stand up for things that are God's law versus the law of the land? I met a well-known actor from Hollywood recently, and he said there are three types of Hollywood stars. There's one type that are believers. He's talking only about believers. He said there's one type that are believing Hollywood stars, and they will keep quiet and keep acting. They do not speak about their Christianity. So that's one, one type. Then he said there's a second type that realize that it, this is too much. Their, their values are always clashing with how Hollywood operates, and so they eventually quit. That's when they kill them off in some series. Or in the end of the movie, the guy has to save the girl and he jumps off a building and she gets saved. That's usually how you know that poor guy, he couldn't handle Hollywood. And then he says there are, there's a third category and this guy belongs to the third category. And he says, you speak out. But if you speak out, you get ostracized by the entire Hollywood community and you become like a pariah. Those are our choices when it comes to tyrannical powers that are structural. And sometimes you end up in trouble because you speak for someone else's injustice. You're not, you're not being treated unjustly, but you cannot hold back from speaking up for someone else's oppression. So the church's warfare is Christocentric. As in it is centered on Christ. It focuses primarily on Christ. But how does it focus on Christ? It focuses on Christ as the warrior king. That's how it focuses on Christ. It doesn't focus on Christ as the gentle lamb. It doesn't focus on Christ as the one who comes riding in on a donkey. It focuses on Christ as the warrior king. I mean, you look at the motive of scripture right from Genesis to the book of Revelation, it is replete with the portrayal of Christ as a warrior king. Like every book in the Bible has him appear as warrior king. There's not one book in the Bible where it's not shown. And so the church's warfare is Christocentric or Christ-centered, and the primary focus is on Christ as a warrior king and not on principalities and powers, that's not the primary focus. So one of the, uh, one of the things you often hear and is uh, oh, we have to focus on Christ, not on the evil powers. So on one hand it is true, we have to focus on Christ, but after focusing on Christ, we have to be aware of the wiles of the devil, the devices of the devil. 
one of the things we have to understand, it's never this or that. It's always held in tension. The sooner we get over that, hump the easier it is. So be Christocentric, but after being Christocentric, go examine the wiles and devices of the devil. Because if you don't, all you have is talk. So now to answer Jill's question, which I cut off. The church's warfare on one, one hand, Acts 29's warfare, let's say Acts 29's warfare, is on one hand, is one corporate. As in, um, it is the community that is involved, not individuals. This is a rarity in churches. The reason we have these things called deliverance ministries, and it's crazy common in South Africa, is because churches think that dealing with powers and principalities is some speciality. And Jesus' words to the church was, those that believe in me will speak in new tongues, will cast out demons, will heal the sick. It is supposed to be a corporate affair, not highly individualized affairs. And when it becomes highly individualized, then we have this healing ministry and that deliverance ministry and this freedom course and that freedom course. And a few people teach it. A few people specialize. The rest of us go attend and we really don't know whether we are doing right or wrong. That has to end because this was supposed to be something that was done corporately. Strange how Israel wouldn't select a few to go in battle. All the men that were above 20 had to go out to war. It wasn't like, oh, I'm above 20, but I want to be an environmental engineer. Too bad. Both the brothers would have been registered for war. Of course, one would put another one in front of him, and we know which one. Well, that's another th person who's coming next week. The other brother's wife is coming next week. For the, for the last month and a half, that other brother has had this constant excuse. I'll ask him to come to New York, ask him to come to LA, ask him to come to Timbuktu. I have to buy groceries because my wife is coming. <laughs> ah. By now, he must have a grocery store. <laughs> for those of us who don't know who this brother is, could you please stand? <laughs> Would the real brother stand? <laughs> So, if it's not corporate, then it becomes a, um, uh, it, it's just highly individualized and that's not the way to go. Second, um, it is strategic, as in, it does deal with principalities and powers. And this requires us to be trained by the word, by 
the spirit by practice as in going and actually being an apprentice. And the moment I say apprentice, you have to go with someone who's done it before. Who is experienced? Experienced in what? Experienced in the word, experienced in the spirit, experienced in practice. This is how it works. And if you don't do this, you can't participate in this. Yeah, so there's a third category. And the third category is <laughs> the church's warfare is personal. Because spirits are personal beings. And they assault individuals. They assault individuals. So they assaulted Adam, they assaulted Judas, they assaulted Peter, and they assaulted Jesus. And so individual believers have to learn how to fight, especially in the battlefield of the mind. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5, talks about it. Taking down every high and lofty thing that raises itself up against knowledge of God. And so it's on three different levels that a church needs to operate. On one hand, it's corporate. On one hand, it's strategic. On one hand, it is personal. And so... On one hand, you cannot ignore someone who's demonized and needs help, and you go cast out the demon from that person. On the other hand, if you're going into a place, you have to be strategic and you have to know what is God asking you to deal with, and you only deal with that. There may be a hundred things that you are facing, but if God says deal with one thing, you deal with that one thing. And on the third, it's corporate, as in it shouldn't be a few specialized individuals. Over a period of a year, the whole church should be able to deal with it. And when more people learn how to deal with it, this spreads faster. As long as you have experts that do it, everybody will have to seek out those few experts. This is what happened to media. Eh? You had amazing newspapers and a few big-time reporters. Now, anybody with a phone can report news. And it spreads faster. It's as true or false as the regular media but at least it spreads faster. Any questions? What? <laughs> Go ahead. So I guess my, my question is about um, like dealing with, okay, spiritual warfare or whatever. Um, you know, in, in individuals versus, say, uh, like, like going to, somebody going to like a Buddha and saying, you know, spirit of Buddha, No. And sometimes people get in trouble. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. So then, uh, which is why we go here. This is super important, eh? And that's why I said, without training, you cannot do this. You cannot. 
It's just not right. You, don't, you haven't earned the right if you haven't chosen to train. And that's each person's choice. And how do we train? Very simple. This is how Jesus trained them. He gave them the word. He anointed them in the spirit. He took them along with him. And once he had done this, he was able to send them out. And he sent them out two by two, so that even there, they had people to depend on. And so if these three things aren't your cup of tea, then drink coffee. So, <laughs> yeah. So, this is important. Diana, are you giving her questions? No, but I'm silently cheering her on. Okay. I am highly suspicious if you're sitting behind her and being completely quiet and she's asking all of it. <laughs> Alrighty, go ahead. Gladys, Gladys, yeah, Gladys Edward. Yeah, yeah. Um, people that did go by themselves. Yeah. So how do you... Yeah. And, and, there, I mean, there's other people that... Yeah. They've got a call to go somewhere and... These two ladies tried like crazy. They begged. They pleaded. They manipulated. Mission boards to send them, and send them with a team. And the man-dominated mission boards of those times refused and got to Kova. It's not his preferred method, but he took over. And then they trained people under them so that that would not happen to them. These women were exceptional. Gladys Aylward went and begged. She would try to give her age as less than what it was, or more than what it was, so that she could be selected. But uh, women are only supposed to be prayer warriors who intercede in the basement of the church. It's men who go. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's what happened with Clarice Aylward and with um, Jackie Pullinger. And then they changed it around. They, when they had their turn, when they were established, and they, I mean, Gladys changed how China used to raise its babies, man. Leave alone the evangelism that happened through her. Jackie Pulinda changed Hong Kong's triad gangs and changed the drug culture. One woman, just by the sheer power of the Spirit of God. Always remember, guys, I remember preaching on this. It's always one man, one woman. Starts there. It is God's way of starting. It is not to show that this man is a champion or this woman is a champion. It's, show, it's to show how powerful he is because one woman or one man cannot achieve it.
support her. It's a fabulous book if you haven't read it, eh? Chasing the Dragon. Yeah. So the, these are the three ways the church must battle. Any questions on that? Okay. So Christ the warrior king. Christ the warrior king. There are very few songs written about the, written about the warrior king. Because the church cannot relate to Christ as the warrior king. The max we go to is line of Judah. But then we don't know what to do after that. Christ the warrior king continues his mission today against Satan and an army of demonic forces. And he does it amazingly through the church or through us. And when he finds that a church is not willing to rise to this, he has to find a few people. But he would prefer doing it through the church because it is his body. Remember one thing, that in the world there is only one thing under attack, the body of Christ. But that shouldn't give us a victim mentality because the one thing that is under attack is the only thing that, is that will remain standing. It's very odd how this works. There is nothing else on the earth that everybody seeks to attack. Because the systems of the world have only one intent. Can we undo, damage, destroy, kill, steal from the body? Because it belongs to Christ, the king of the universe. Everything in the world is geared towards that. But what they don't realize is, at the end of the day, it is the only thing that, is, that remains standing. So the mentality is not that of a victim. So Christ the warrior king wants to fight with and through the church. And there are some things he does that he wants us to do. He wants us to thwart subversion. As in, can you, can you prevent the subversion of the kingdom? Can you prevent it from being contaminated, adulterated, diluted, polluted, uh, hybridized, mutated, distorted? Can you prevent that thwart sub subversion of the kingdom, of the kingdom of God? Second thing he wants is, can you advance the kingdom? Advance the kingdom of God. Because the gates of hell must not prevail against. There must be an advancement. How do, what does advancement look like? Advancement doesn't look like a Republican being in the White House. Advancement looks like people being brought into the kingdom and raised to be sons of the kingdom so that they can be sent out. Third, can you assault darkness? Isaiah 49, 44. And lastly, can you rescue prisoners? We may say, no, this God can do. Why should we do that? Can't we just worship the Lord and just focus on discipling and evangelism? Hey, someone did this for you. Colossians 1.13 That someone was Jesus but besides Jesus people had to do this for you. Colossians 1.13 You have been transferred 
removed, rescued from where? From the kingdom of darkness. Into what? Into the dominion of the sun. There was this guy called Daniel Igali from Nigeria. Through many hardships, he came to Canada. He was a wrestler. He was able to go to the Olympics as a Canadian wrestler. He wins the gold medal. First thing he does after he wins the gold medal is grab a Canadian flag. He puts it, and it's just automatic. He isn't even thinking. He grabs a Canadian flag that someone throws, puts it on the, uh, in the ring in the middle, and he runs around it, and he's so happy for Canada. And he kisses the flag. Why was he doing it? Because he knew what he came out of, and he knew what he came into. And bearing that flag was a matter of honor. So I'm asking you, do you bear this with honor? And will you bear it with honor the way God has prescribed? There should be a passion for the bride and the kingdom that arises in our hearts by this time, at least in this church. These are four things that we will have to begin to think along the lines of. And when it comes to strategic, and I don't use the word strategic just to make things sound good, because there is something called strategic level spiritual warfare which requires us to find things that God wants us to deal with. And let's say God shows us something about a territory that has to be dealt with. As he showed Paul, as he showed Paul in Cyprus, as he showed Paul in Ephesus, as he showed the church in Pergamum. Then, can our prayers, it starts with prayer, eh? it starts with prayer, so everybody can at least start there. starts with prayer and our prayers have to be sustained, as in it's not a one-time thing. Our prayers have to be incisive, as in penetrating. It can't be these general prayers. And how do we avoid general prayers? It's very easy. Take orders. If you're going to a restaurant and say, I want something with meat, it doesn't work. You have to give an order. I want a beyond, not Beyond Burger. What's a, the, um, yeah, uh, 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 you have to be specific. Once you're specific, you get what you mean, what you need. How, how do you pray incisive prayers? Incisive prayers are prayed by listening first to God and then asking whoever is in charge, how do you want us to pray? And then stick with it. I've taken people with me. I'm not talking about this church. I remember going to a place where really nasty stuff was happening. And we're sitting in a church in the middle of nowhere. The church is called uh, uh, the Church in the Wilderness. It's St. John's Baptist Church in the Wilderness. That's the name of the church. And it's actually in the wilderness. And we're sitting and we're praying and very specifically told people how to pray. And um, three of the people prayed specifically. The other two went and prayed for everything under the sun. And I'm waiting, saying, why? Why can't you take orders? What is it in us that begins to rebel every time we are told to take orders? Even if you don't agree, deal with it after the fight, not in the thick of the battle. And this is only found out when you take a person with you.
Jacob, it's easy for you to say you're in charge and so you get away with anything you want to say. Yes, but I also went through not being in charge and serving. I didn't get here, I didn't drop out of heaven, obviously, you know that. <laughs> Let there be no question about that. <laughs> yeah, But I had to serve and I had to learn how to take orders. Sometimes things that I didn't like, but you do it because you can ask the questions later. I had to trust those I didn't trust. Yeah, then know that you can say, do you think this is a good idea? And then just follow. Because you will be the only one that's safe because you did it right. There's something about following the arrangement of God that protects you, even if the person in charge gets it wrong. It's crazy how this works. God says, Oh, I'll give you an example from Elmer and Anne's life that they shared publicly. Um, Elmer and Anne had to make a decision, and it was a f- decision that would be financially uh, affecting them. And uh, Elmer said, I want to make this decision. Anne said, no, I don't think it is. But Elmer said, no, I think this is the right way to go. Uh, this is simple f- decision-making. And Anne remembers going and talking to the Lord, and then she comes and says to Elmer, you know, I don't think this is the way to go, and I do not necessarily agree with you, but I recognize you as the first among equals, and so we are going to go with your decision. The decision was wrong. But because this woman went about it right way, they had no loss. If that can happen in finances, you can't imagine how it works in the spiritual It has to be incisive, it has to be strategic, as in, um, what is the Holy Spirit saying? Why, does he, why, why did he not allow Paul and Barnabas to go to Bithynia, to Mycenae? Why? It, it doesn't even say that the visa guy did not stamp their visa. It says the Holy Spirit forbade him from entering Mycenae. Why? It has to be cohesive, as in together, not done in isolation. Sometimes it's symbolic, our prayers. We do things that are symbolic. It's often declarative. You should read Psalm 29, declarative. The voice of the Lord thunders. The voice of the Lord tears the cedars of Lebanon, the voice of the Lord causes the floods to subside, the voice of the Lord splits the deserts deserts open, the voice of the Lord causes the streams to flow, the voice of the Lord dries up the seas, the voice of the Lord. And what am I supposed to do with that? Take the words of the Lord and become his voice here on earth. The church is supposed to be both the pillar of truth and the announcer of truth. Sometimes the way we fight is so simple. Uh, sometimes what you do is just, uh, I mean, you, you're not even praying much, but you do something symbolic like um, carrying, uh, I mean, Israel would carry the ark into the water first. Why? Why carry the ark into the water? And yet the waters would part. It was just a symbol of God. It wasn't God. Why does Moses lift up his hands and sit on a mountain? with Aaron and her holding up his hands. 
Some things that God advises just have to do even if it's foolish. Something physical that God asks you to do. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise you can have a lot of people doing symbolic things. Yeah, I went for one service where a woman was flying like a plane, saying this is symbolic. And then another lady was setting a cannon on fire, um, like saying, we got to blow up the thing. So boom, she kept doing that. Then she looked at me and I wasn't participating in it, so she asked me if I was a Hindu. So, no, it really happened. I'm not kidding you. Actually, not a word of exaggeration there. We also need our gospel shoes on. Because, and, and the sword of the word. These are the things that prayers should look like. And so, over the next little while, we will shift to this at Encounter. Stuff like this then begins to shake the foundations of political systems and structures. You know, we don't know these people, but the generation, not my generation, the generation before me, there were hundreds and hundreds praying for the fall of the Berlin Wall, for the end of the Iron Curtain. Hundreds of them play, praying. For years on end they would pray. And then in one minute the whole thing begins to collapse. We don't realize it. We're not a generation that prays, right? Because everything has to be instant. Now Jesus is selling um, prayer on uh, Facebook meaning the chosen Jesus. I, I dislike it when people who represent Jesus in a movie then start selling stuff. But not, not a problem, I'm just saying. I find it odd when Jesus is selling things. Okay. This is a super important statement if you haven't heard it before. In the Old Testament, I'll end at 1.15, guys, regardless of how far we get. In the Old Testament, um, the warfare, Israel's warfare, in the Old Testament, Israel's warfare was about preserving the messianic seed, preserving the seed of the woman. Let me explain that. So throughout the, throughout the uh, Old Testament, every battle that Israel had was only about one thing, Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.15 it was said that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That was what it said in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The moment that was said, there was only one intent the enemy had. If I can crush the seed of the woman, the serpent will live. And so Israel was the woman through whom the seed would come, the Messiah. 
And so every battle since the beginning of time that has been launched against the Jewish people has been with one intent only. If the woman can be undone, then the seed will not come. And if the seed does not come, the head of the serpent will not be crushed. Every battle has been about that. When Haman wants to exterminate the Jews, when the Philistines, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites want to destroy them, when Pharaohs and Herods want to destroy. What is the intent always? The intent is, can the seed of the woman be stopped from being birthed? To the point that even Herod, who, was, who had Jewish ancestry, is now being used to do what? Can the king be stopped from being birthed? Let's go slay every child that is less than two-year-old in Ramah. Send midwives so that as soon as the Egyptian women give birth, uh, Israelite women give birth, these children can be killed. The intent was very simple throughout the Old Testament. Prevent the seed of the woman from being born so that the head of the serpent will not be crushed. And then the seed of the woman is born. He bruises the heel of the seed, but the seed crushes the head of the serpent. So that's the Old Testament scenario. Any questions on that? May this be heavier. May this be heavy. May this be heavy on you. This message should be heavy on you. you should, it, should, it should change your thinking. This shouldn't be taken lightly. And what is, the, what is the intent now? What are the New Testament battles about? The New Testament battle is, can the, can the body of Christ be prevented from proclaiming the Messiah? That's the battle now. That can the body of Christ be prevented from proclaiming the Messiah? In NT, in the New Testament, can we can the proclamation of the messianic kingdom of Jesus' kingdom be stopped? That's the intent now. So in the Old Testament, Israel would battle principalities and powers of Canaan. In the New Testament, the church battles the principalities and powers of, in heavenly places. And the difference is, in Israel, in the Old Testament, the battle was against flesh and blood. In the New Testament, the battle is not against flesh and blood. Huge difference. But the strategies that were used in the Old Testament for war are wonderfully used in prayer in the New Testament. And we don't know how to do that. And that is part of the training. Any questions? Ephesians 6, 10 onwards.
So what is the church doing now? In Christ, we are trying to crush the head of the serpent. In Christ, we are trying to... not In Christ, we are crushing the head of the serpent. Trying, yes, but we are. How do we know that? Because Romans 16, 19 says that. Romans 16, 19 says. Remember that song that you learned when you were young? Be excellent in all things. It wasn't around when... <laughs> when you and I were in <laughs> youth groups. <laughs> yeah. It was a song written after Diana. Something's just... Yeah. And it says, and, and, Jesus, and Christ will soon crush Satan under your feet. Not under his feet, under your feet. Under our feet, yeah. Yeah, and we'll be talking about that in the future, but it might be off camera. Yeah. Guys, um, maybe we'll end with this thought that one of the first, the, the way Jesus began, the way Jesus began his conflict, once he came on the earth, Jesus began his conflict with a personal. Yet, cosmic victory, as in universal victory. This is just at the beginning of his um, missionary, when Jesus is finally coming on stage. That's another fascinating thing. We know he's born. We know at 12 he's in the temple. And then we don't see him for 18 years. It's, it's crazy. This is the savior of the world. And he, there's no clue about his growing up. There's no clue about his carpentry, about him being a small-time businessman, having to take care of four sisters, two brothers, and a mother. No, nothing about him. 18 years he's silent, and now he comes on stage. And one of the first things that happens once he's revealed after the baptism is he's led by the uh, Holy Spirit into the wilderness, and that is where he has his first conflict. But it is so telling. Jesus begins his conflict with a personal yet cosmic victory, in the wilderness, by resisting temptation. This is such a critical part of what this church must learn how to do, resist temptation. But look at what he resists. This is eye-opening. He resists temptation towards um, provision, towards protection, towards possessions. Read this in Matthew 4, 1 to 11. Selah. It is not possible to be walking the warrior's way. It is not possible to step up into being a warrior until I overcome the three things that prevent us from serving. And those are our temptation as in a pull towards taking care of possessions, sorry, taking care of provision, finding our own security and protection, and three, getting what we think is our right in terms of possessions. The three temptations that happen is, hey, you have the power to make bread out of stones. 
hey, take a chance, God will protect you. Hey, I'll give you what you've come for. This is why Paul later on says to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. No soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. Three things that soldiers don't get entangled in. Provision, protection, possession. Let's end there. Then we'll continue next week with part two. Oh, there's a lot of interesting stuff in part one, but yeah. Um, there'll be one or two visits to the island this week. I'll ask some of you to just visit the island and tell you where exactly to go. Um, I just want us to pray for two things before we leave. The first one is, can we pray from Exodus 14, 20? We, can we pray from Acts 20, 28 and 29? Can we just pray that and then we can go? Yeah, if you turn to Exodus 14, 20 and see what it says and Acts 20, verse 28 and 29. Exodus uh, says that uh, when Israel was crossing the Red Sea, God came as a pillar and stood behind Israel. And to the Israelites, he was light. And to the Egyptians, he was darkness and confusion. And so one of the prayers that I want us to pray is, Father, as we step into this command of, as a church beginning to affect the island, could you please be our rear guard so that to us things are clear but to the enemy he's not able to track our steps there's confusion in the enemy camp they know that God is leading this church into something but they can't track so can we pray that so that's one prayer and then if you go to Acts 20 verse 28 and 29 it says there that Paul is at the beach in Ephesus and he's talking to the leaders and he says to the leaders guys I'm leaving but after I leave just be careful because there'll be savage wolves that come to destroy the flock. And then before that in 28, what does it say in 28? Yeah, that it, as we do this, we don't leave Ziklag unguarded. If you remember 1 Samuel 30, David went out for a conquest, but he left Ziklag unguarded. And Ziklag was where his wives, wives and children were. When he comes back, the city is burnt and all their families are taken. So just pray these two prayers uh, that the church remains protected and that the enemy remains confused. So um, let's just pray that, eh? Okay. So I'll just ask a couple of people to pray. So I'll ask uh, Derek and Jane and uh, Jillian and... Uh, Let's throw in the other brother too. Okay. If you guys can take the mic and pray. And uh, Betty, since you didn't do much today, can you just give the mic to different people?
You can choose who wants, who should start. Now you have power. Father, I want to first pray from Acts 20, 28, 29. Jesus, this church belongs to you and this church families. All of us, we belong to you. We are blood bought. You bought us. We are not, we are people who, who were paid for by your blood. And so this church is yours. This embassy is yours. Yeah. And so we establish and declare your rulership over our lives. Everything that we have belongs to you. Everything that we are comes out of you. Thank you. And so we come under your covering, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And we also recognize this, the arrangement, as we heard today, yeah. that you have established for us. As we go into the places you invite us into, we follow you by following your ways on earth. So Jesus, we speak protection over every single person at Acts 29 and our families that comes from your, it is blood bought. It is blood bought. So we thank you, Jesus, that you have already defeated the devil mm -hmm. and now we participate with you yeah. in your work in jesus Hallelujah. name amen holy spirit help us to conspire with you mm. so that you illuminate the lay of the land for us as we enter victoria would you illuminate the lay of the land? Yeah. Give us the blueprint. Mm. When the Israelites crossed, they didn't um, know initially, but you knew yeah. exactly where they were going to go. Yeah. You knew exactly where they were going to go. So, But we have the ability now to call on your spirit. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, we want to conspire with you. Show yeah. us the lay of the land. Show us the lay of the land and then make it dark for the other side yeah. so that they don't see anything. Yeah. It is a, a privilege that you're giving to us. Praise God, man. A preview, access to your blueprints. Yeah. And I just cast darkness on the other side yeah. that our steps are hidden, yeah. that the plans are hidden, yeah. that they walk in darkness. The enemy walks in darkness as we enter every step of the way that yeah. they see nothing. Yeah. They see nothing, and I d that's what I declare in the name of Jesus. They Beautiful. see nothing. Awesome. Thank you. Father, we thank you that um, one thing as we go in this is that we'll walk in high awareness, because as we walk in awareness, we'll, we can be aware of both the camp that we're going out to and our home base. Mm. Father, it's so highly aware that, that as we go, we walk with your strategic planning, mm. your awareness of, okay, this is, this is how the camp needs to be guarded. Mm. 
This is, this is what needs to be set in place. This is how you need to function this time. Because it can't become a method, but it has to be a high awareness of, hey, this time this is what needs to be done. This yeah. time, these, as these people go, this is who needs to stay in guard. And may as we go, we not put more weight over one than the other. Yeah. May we be aware of, hey, there's an importance to both. There's an importance to both, and it's not more important to go. It's not more important to stay. Yeah. There's no, there's no room for conflict to come in this time, Father, because we need to walk in a unity, a unity of body as we go and as we stay, Father. Yeah. It's critical because otherwise we're opening doors to things that should not be opened. Yeah. So we, we thank you for your pillow of cloud that goes before us yeah. and, and comes behind us, Father. It surrounds us, but in that we... We commit, we say, we will walk in unity. We will yeah. walk in Hallelujah. unity. We will not let pride, we will not let conflict, we will not let comparison come in our way. Yeah. Because that will open doors to things that are not permitted here, Father. So may we resist those three things that we talked about at the end. May we be so highly aware that our provision has to come from you. Yeah. Our protection has to come from you. Yeah. And our um, possessions have to come from you, Father. Yeah. That in this, there cannot be comparison. In this, there cannot be conflict because we will not let those wolves come into this camp. We yeah. will guard against it. We will Thank guard against it in your name, Jesus. Right now, we acknowledge that this is something we will be highly aware of yeah. because we are aware of you and you are, you are the one that we are running after. You are the one who we are letting say, hey, when something comes up, we'll quickly shut it down and say, no, this is not the focus. This is what God is up to and this is the truth that I stand on. So we thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Good stuff. Father, thank you for the opportunity <clears throat> as a church to do the things that you have planned for us yeah. um, in Victoria and in Nemo, Father. Um, we, we thank you because you are our king, you are our Lord. We are doing things with you. We are not doing things on our own, but we are doing things with you. You lead and we follow. You are our owner, Father. Yeah. You own everything that we have, everything that we are. You own it, Father. This church has always been your plan. The way we are raised is by you. Yeah. We'll follow your voice. The sheep will follow the shepherd's voice. Yeah. And the voice of the stranger, they will not follow, Father. So we will listen to your voice. You. We will follow you. We'll listen to your strategies. And when we do all of this, Father, in humble obedience, when we do all of this, we know that we'll be taken care of by you. Hallelujah. Our home base and people who go out will all be under your protection, Father. Your yeah. fence will be around us. They, the wolves will not attack us. You will be a covering and a shield around us, Father, for your angels will be surrounding us. Yeah. We declare this because we know your nature Hallelujah. and we know your plans for us. Yeah. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Bless you. If you need groceries, you know who to approach. Uh, if you have a problem, talk to the guys from Houston, and I think that should be it. <laughs>